Hi, my name is Susan. I've been arrested 32 times just for listening to people talk with each other. The problem was I used to hide in the bushes outside the windows of people's homes to enjoy listening to strangers talk to each other. It's just something I like to do. I get bored and lonely sometimes, you know. Hey, Susan, don't do all that. There's another way to enjoy random conversations? Now, thanks to the podcast show, I can enjoy listening to conversations with strangers and learn something new every week. No more listening outside the window just to enjoy a good conversation. Tune in weekly on Wednesdays and subscribe for updates on your favorite platform to the Toddcast show and help our podcast family continue to grow and share around the world. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Toddcast show. My name is Todd Mira, your host, and I'm so excited to be here with all of you. The Toddcast show is dedicated to exploring the human condition through conversation with strangers. We explore the positive, interesting, and oftentimes shocking side of human nature. In each episode of the Toddcast show, I talk with strangers in a down-to-earth, old-school, and heartfelt way about their life. Nothing is ever scripted, everything is spontaneous, positive, and we never discuss politics. You won't know what to expect next. Join in the conversation to laugh, love, learn, and grow with others around the planet. Who will I call next? Tune in to find out every Wednesday at midnight Pacific or for playback anytime on your favorite podcast listening platform. And stay connected with us at ToddCastShow.com. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Toddcast Show. Today we're joined by Nikki Billu. Is that how I spell or pronounce your last name? Nikki Billu? Billu. Billu, actually. Billu. I'm sorry. Hi, Nikki. How are you? I am blessed and grateful, brother. How are you? Man, I feel the same way, dude. That's good. Yeah, I saw that you're a Christian business builder. Normally, we don't start with that sort of thing, but I'm really excited to get to the meat of uh, our conversation. But, you know, quite frankly, this is going to be an interesting journey because people need to uh, see some of the things I think you're going to point out. I'm really looking forward to this. Awesome. I'm blessed and grateful as well to be here, brother, and I'm looking forward to sharing everything that I got to give to you and your fabulous audience. Right on, man. Right on. I really appreciate that, dude. And uh, so let's start out from the beginning. Uh, Nikki, where were you born? Or no, no, no. Where were you calling from? I'm so sorry. It's been a while since I've done an interview. (laughs) (laughs) I'm from Toronto, Ontario, Canada. (laughs) Oh, really? Yeah. Wow, that's bitching, man. What's it like up there? Or are you up there still? Cold, brother. It's cold. It's minus 19 this morning. Good Lord, that's amazing. 19. That, that is unbelievable. 19. Well, that's what I mean, but yeah, yeah, it's like, good Lord, that is cold, man. How do it's you deal cold, with that? Man. Brother, I'm, uh, I actually am up in my office, mm-hmm. and um, I'm cold enough that I put on a toque. <laughs> so my ears a are toque? covered. Yeah. What's a toque? Oh, that's a Canadian word for a beanie, I guess. Oh, it's the, like yeah. in the movie Strange Brew, the guys yeah, that wear yeah. the funny hats. Okay, yeah, got it. All right, cool. It really works, right? Like that that keeps you pretty warm, I would imagine. Yeah, it does. It does. That's it does. cool, man. That's cool. So you're in Toronto, Canada. Um, where were you born? 
I was born actually in the Middle East. I'm a Christian from Iran. Oh, very interesting from Iran, no less. Gee, many Christians. Yes, wow. And how old are you today? I'm 55, man. Right on, dude. I'm 51. So we're, we're right there together, man. And uh, as a young person in Iran, can you recall like uh, early memories from childhood? What comes to mind when you think back to the earliest part of your childhood? Like what, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Honestly, man, um, I, I remember, um, I remember being in, um, in school mm -hmm. and I remember, um, I remember running around mm. in the playground and mm -hmm. I remember that when people annoyed me, I'd kick them in the shins. <laughs> That's so funny. You know, we have a lot in common already, my bed, my man. Uh, we're Christians, but like I had a pair of boots when I was a little kid. I was a hyperactive child, yeah. and they took took my boots away for the same reason. <laughs> I had some cowboy boots, and I loved them, and I used to kick people with them, and they took those things away right away. <laughs> that was the end of that. <laughs> oh, yeah, what a I'm sorry. Yeah, but did you get in trouble like uh, for doing All that? All the time. Thing, All the okay. time. In Iran, that's uh, kind of scary for us Westerners. We don't really understand things about the culture and stuff. How harsh were punishments as a child when you lived in Iran? Um, they were rough, brother. They were rough. I'd get my my mom and dad would physically uh, smack me around <laughs> if oh. I misbehaved. Right. Um, um, and uh, in school, you know, you'd get. Uh, I'd get detention. I'd get called to the principal's office. Wow. Yeah. We, uh, except for the violent part, like uh, we have something else in common. Yeah, I spent a lot of time. I spent so much time in the principal's office, quite honestly. I was in a private school that it just got to the point where I wasn't riding the bus home anymore. The principal was taking me home. <laughs> because <laughs> I would have to stay after school. Like, a, I think it was a secret plan to help my mom with her schedule or something. But like, yeah, I, I was a little hellion myself. Um, and in Iran, was it different? Like as a child thinking about like you were familiar with America now, of course, but just looking yeah. back, what was it uh, that you really think stands out in terms of your country and how it is different than other countries and you know, that sort of thing. Like, what kind of memories do you have related to that? Look, you know, Iran under the Shah was amazing, right? Mm -hmm. He was a, um, a benevolent despot, and it was a westernized country in many ways. I mean, men and women frolicked together. Uh, it, was, it was quite secular. But when the Mullahs took over, they just established an absolute tyranny. Mm -hmm. um, and... Uh, Men and women were not allowed to be together. Women had to wear chidors and headscarves and things like that. And um, it wasn't so good. And my late father, you know, he could see the writing on the wall that this wasn't going to be great in terms of being a place to raise his Christian family. So he made a plan and we got out of it. Uh, it took us a few years to, you know, make all that happen. Okay. But I was 11 years old when the Islamic Revolution started. Mm-hmm. It took about a year and a bit for it to fully succeed. Mm -hmm. And um, within another year and a bit, we left Iran. Mm -hmm. We spent two years in a way station in Greece. Mm -hmm. And then we were in Canada. So from start to finish, it was a four-year journey. 
That's crazy. Canada. Yeah. We, we've missed a big chunk of your life. I wanted to catch it. <laughs> Hold on a minute. <laughs> I want to come back a little bit. So let's go back to your childhood. Um, so your first memories were about what age, do you think, that you were talking about running and playing and stuff like that? Yeah, I was great. You know, kindergarten, grade one type of time. Uh, okay, cool, cool, cool. And then um, from there, like, uh, you know, um, I guess what I'm curious about is how your parents were an influence on your life as an early child and the things that you remember from each parent and the lessons that you learn. I wanted to kind of talk about that. The earliest memories that you have of valuable lessons and values and things that were instilled in your nature. I mean, you grew up with a Christian family. Certainly you had values uh, presented to you as example and also probably directives. But, you know, it's like, how did that work as a child and your parents and what was the dynamics with your parents like at that time? So, you know, my my mom uh, was someone who worked, which in Iran at the time was a little bit unusual. Oh, um, my dad ran a business, mm -hmm. and um, mom actually ended up working at the American school where my brothers and I went to school. So. We actually got to see her during the day because she managed the bookstore there. Before that, she was a nurse for like 25 years mm -hmm. uh, in, in ER. But by the time I was like nine, 10 years old, she was working in the um, in the bookstore, managing the bookstore. So we wow. got to see her a lot. Um, she, Dad worked and traveled for work. You know, he was bringing home the bacon. So yeah. mom was in charge of disciplining us and all that jazz. And she wasn't afraid to, not at all. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, you know, dad was uh, a more benevolent figure. He didn't discipline us often, but when he did, it was scary as all get out. You know, and you said us, I assume that you have siblings, right? Uh, two, two brothers. Oh, really? Older, younger? Where do you fall in the I'm line? The I'm the eldest. Oh, very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. And then as a child uh, going to school and all that, like, uh, tell me just a little bit about how you grew up and what it was like in Iran, you know, before so, you came I, here. I went, to, um, I went to an American school called the American Community School. In Iran? And, yep, yep. Oh. So we went to a very multicultural school. The environment I was in, there were, Iranians made up a majority of the students, but there was a lot of Americans, a lot of Brits, mm -hmm. um, a lot of people from various parts of Asia, Europe, like it was really a multicultural environment. So all of the children of people who were doing business in Iran or who were part of uh, the diplomatic court pretty much came to a couple of um, English language schools that were in Tehran. I think there were two or three of them. And we were in one of them called the American Community School in Iran. And my parents really wanted us to grow up learning how to speak English and, you know, growing up with the elite. So that's what they did for us. Awesome. That's amazing. Yeah. How early were you when you first were kind of pushed to do more? You know, what, did it start in early childhood? or like Oh, man, probably, probably from the moment I was born. I My see. parents always expected us to do well in school, to give our best and all that jazz. Yeah. We, were, we were kids. There were times we, 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 we went along with it, and there's times we didn't, right? Yeah, yeah. This is a crazy question, but I'm just curious. What's the worst thing you did as a child? What do you think is the one thing that stands out? Like, oh man, I shouldn't have done that. And like, uh, gosh, you know. Yeah, yeah. You know, my 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 uh, the middle son, my my brother and I, 
got into a fight one day and I threw a rock and I hit him in the eye with it. That's the worst thing I did. Oh, bummer, man. And I'll bet you felt really terrible about it afterwards. Oh, horrible. Horrible. Yeah, that's so crazy. But siblings, you know, I never had that experience, brother. It's uh, weird. And my family, you know, my brother and I, my middle brother and I fought a little bit every now and then, but like it wasn't a big deal and everything and all that. But we never really got into the... uh, fist fight thing or whatever it might have been a good idea actually in my family for us to have that because <laughs> then at least it, there would have been a chance but like some of my family does they don't respond to communication and stuff so um you know like when communication stops unfortunately people turn to fighting sometimes and that's a shame so as a child you learned early you know violence is not the answer i'm sure just from that one experience i'm guessing well you know from my point of view, actually, uh, I learned that sometimes violence is the answer. Oh, and very I, good. And I actually think even today for people, violence is sometimes the answer. Yeah. If someone's trying to hurt your family, mm-hmm. uh, you're going to say, no, violence is not the answer. Or oh, no, no. Take person out, right? So no, there are times no. Where, yes, yes. There are times where you have to uh, act. And, Agreed. Um, Agreed. Unfortunately, today, I think, in the West, we're living in the weak man era. You know that poem, hard times create strong men, strong men create good times, good times mm-hmm. create weak men, and weak men create uh, hard times. Have you ever heard that poem before? I haven't actually, no. Well, it's written by a man named Jeff Michael Hoff, or G. Michael Hoff, H-O-P-F. He writes a lot of books. He's, mm-hmm. he's, um, he's a phenomenal writer, and this is one of the greatest, uh, most relevant poems ever written. Mm-hmm. and um, we're living in the weak man era right now. Yeah, that's for sure. And it's, we've, had, we've had good times reign for too long. Mm-hmm. We've gone from a masculine, intolerant society that wouldn't put up with a lot of crap to a mm-hmm. feminine, feminized, tolerant society. And unfortunately, we're tolerating all kinds of ridiculous, stupid things. You got that and right. Our, our enemies are... At the gates. I mean, if right. you read about what's happening right now in the United States, there's a Chinese Communist Party spy balloon. Yeah, dude, I just saw over, that. Hovering over Manhattan. And or the, Montana. It was over Montana, Montana when Montana, I saw excuse it. Excuse me, not Manhattan. Yeah, Montana. And the so-called president of the United States, Mr. Asterix, who, who apparently won more black votes, even though he's an actual mm-hmm. white supremacist, than Barack Obama. I got to tell you, I don't know how that happened. Wait, 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 wait. We got to stop real quick. There's one thing I might have forgotten to tell you. We can't talk about politics. That's the only rule. No politics. We'll we'll, we'll back off of that. But I'm just saying that that is scary. Scary, scary. I couldn't agree more, my friend. And And if we don't do something about that, then, you know, I'm right there with you. 30 years away from our society being taken over just like the barbarian sack yeah, dude. Um, that That's exactly why I don't talk about politics, because everybody does. But like, I really want to try to get people focused more on God and living a life of truth and peace and at least individuality amongst all of this crazy sheep mentality that goes on with people. But before we continue with that dynamic, um, let's get back to your uh, younger years a little bit. So um, it's just part of what I do, and uh, it's really important to me. To know who you are so i'm kind of curious like tell me a little bit about your teenage years and like pre-america what was it like in iran being a teenager how does well, you know that I left differ iran, i left iran when i was 13 so i really spent oh like, right 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 days in iran as a teenager 
I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. Preteen. Then. And, and uh, you know, life prior to the revolution was pretty idyllic. We had a phenomenal uh, existence. We lived in a beautiful part of the city of Tehran. We had a nice house, a very nice house. We, uh, there were two apartments in the home. We rented one of them out. We lived in the other one. Uh, and, you know, the area we lived in was gorgeous. It was Nialvaran area, which was near the Shah's palace. Mm -hmm. uh, and and it, was, it was awesome. We had friends. We'd go do a lot of cool things with. We went out, we played, we fought. Um, we would go to some of the estates in the area had huge gardens with um, walnut trees and mulberry uh, trees and we would go and climb the walls and shake the trees and <laughs> get walnuts and mulberries. Nice. So that was kind of what we did. And in school, I was a kid. I learned. Uh, I played. Mm -hmm. That was that was what it was all about for me. Mm -hmm. Were you a good student? Um, I was a good student when I wanted to be a good student, and when I didn't, I was a mediocre student. But I see. Um, my school years, uh, you know. Through, through first grade, um, I did really well in history and English mm. and math. But when I took Farsi, uh, Persian, I did eh, so-so. Uh, and I used to do really well in that, too. And I wasn't as diligent about that. But mm. I did really well uh, up until grade 5, 6, and grade 6. Uh, my science scores dropped. I even got an F one semester in it. So I had to like step my game up and pull it up. And then my marks got better. By the time okay. we went to Greece, my marks were straight A's and B's. Wow. Uh, and in high school, I got straight A's. In university, um, first year, I got B's basically and, and some C's. So my average hovered around the low B. But by third year, uh, fourth year, I got it up to, you know, A's. And uh, when, I, when I did my master's, I got a, I got a straight A average. That's awesome, man. What part of Greece did you move to? Athens. Ah, okay. How far is that from Santorini? Santorini is an island, and Athens is on mainland Greece. So it's oh, I see. A few hundred kilometers. I've actually visited Santorini. It's lovely. Right on. Yeah, that's where my family originates from, apparently. That in France, like somewhere in the mix of all that craziness. But yeah, Santorini, yeah. Greece. Never been there. I saw it on video. Dude, and... you got to go. You're yeah, 51. It's, really... it's time. You got to just... Really? Okay. Yeah, man. Mm. You gotta go. You gotta visit the land of your of your ancestors. Everybody needs a connection to yeah. their uh, ancestry. It's what gives you a connection to who you are through the echoes of time. It's very important. Totally. Yeah, man. That's actually a good point. I'm a kind of a trepid flyer, trepidatious. I hate to fly, and I get sick and all that, and it's just like really scary for me. So that's what keeps me from it, going to places. <laughs> you're also you're also a badass and a warrior and you're a man and you can get over that stuff so. yeah 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 it's mind over matter but boy i'll tell 100%. you what yeah it's like you 100%. want to talk about feeling like an a helpless baby as an adult like just put me on an airplane and put me in some turbulence and you'll see me lose all of that manhood gone out the window and there's my vomit bag and men are scared they just don't let the fear stop them <laughs> anybody right. who says men aren't scared is crazy yeah, I get scared no. every day about a bunch of stuff, but you know, darn right. The difference man. is, do I let the fear win or do I win? That's exactly what makes right. Man, man. Exactly right, man. So let's let's kind of move forward. I know you want to get to America, and we've got a lot to talk about there. So you were young. Um, you came to the United States for the first time. How did you get Canada. here? And, yeah, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I keep thinking yeah. the United States. Forgive me, people. But 
How was it? Like, what was that experience like going to it a sucked. new land? And it sucked for the first couple of years. I didn't want to be here. I wanted to be, and even in Greece, it was tough for us. Hmm. I mean, I wanted to go back home. We were always dreaming, when can we go back? And the culture here was different. The kids were different. I, I felt alone. I felt scared. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I did well in school and I made a few friends, but it took a, it took a good, um, I'd say from 13 to 19 or 20, mm. I had a lot of um, discomfort with living in the society. Culturally? It was, yeah. It was, it was really when I was 19, 20 years old that all that started to shift. Interesting. Interesting. What led to that shift? Well, time, I think. You know, we'd been away from Iran for seven years at that point. I was 20 uh, years old. I'd spent enough time here that I started to acclimate. But I, it could have happened faster if I had deliberately tried to make it happen faster, but I didn't. I just, Interesting. I kept pining for home until I stopped one day. I mean, I just, you know, all, all the sadness, uh, I cried it out of myself. Mm -hmm. um, did and did by you have a... It was done. I was, you know, we're here. We live here. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. Thank you, God. Thank you, Mom. Thank you, Dad. Yeah, totally. And um, did you have a hard time making friends as a teenager? Or, like, did that get in your way? Like, what was that? No, part I, like? I never had a hard time making friends. But, you know, it was, it was just a different culture, a different way of being. Interesting. Did you like anything? Friends. I would I have friends, and I would not. Their values were different than mine. Not bad, not wrong, just different. Mm. And, and there are certain values that for me are super important that were hard for me to find here in, in, uh, in North America. Wow. Uh, so, it, it, like, back home, loyalty was big. I, me and the kids I was friends with, loyalty was our, was our glue that held yeah. us together. Totally. Loyalty didn't seem to be so big a deal in Canada. There were very few people that seemed to put as much value on that as I did. Mm -hmm. um, and I had a hard time with that. I really did. I had a really hard time with that for many, many years. Interesting. And it took seven years of living here before I acclimatized to the value system mm -hmm. of Canada. And I became enough of a Canadian that it didn't bother me anymore. Wow. What does that mean? What does that, what does that look like? Like if you were to describe that shift to someone, well, you know, I, I, I just assimilated into the culture and I, you know, watch the shows on television, listen to the music, hung out with the friends, read the books, mm -hmm. you know, uh, all that helped. Cool. It's culture, it's culture, uh, exposure, cultural exposure and, and cultural assimilation is what made it happen for me. Interesting. Wow. That's cool, man. That's really cool. And where were your brothers while all of this was happening? Well, you know, they were with us. We all lived together. So you all kind of went through the same struggles in different ways, basically. Like, did they struggle like you did, or uh, was it easier for them, and was it different? Um, so... Um, they had their own version of it. I mean, the youngest one, he was he was a little fellow. He was like, by the time we got to Canada, he was, you know, six years old. So mm -hmm. for him, it was a lot easier to um, assimilate and acclimatize to Canadian culture. 
my other brother was closer in age to me. He was, uh, you know, a year and a half younger than I was. So he went at the beginning, especially he went through a lot of the same issues that I went through. But I believe that he got himself acclimatized mm. to being a Canadian much sooner than I did. So mm -hmm. from 13 to 20, roughly 19, 20, six, six and a half, seven years, I was still very comfortable in the skin of being a non-Iranian. I don't think it took him as long. I think it took him maybe three years. So, mm -hmm. And your parents, how did they react to the change? Honestly, um, my mom and dad uh, kept a lot of their Iranian identity, mm -hmm. but they were very grateful to be here. You know, and they, they worked very hard to um, to assimilate and to acclimatize mm -hmm. both of them because they wanted they, this was our new life. They, they made this decision and this was all there was to it. Yeah, that's awesome, man. And they did that to provide a better life for your the children. Right. Yes, exactly. They did 100 percent. They were incredible parents. Like, that's beautiful. My mom man. and dad were rock star parents. Yeah, right I was on. Very, very blessed. Are they still yeah. alive? Mom is. Dad passed away three years ago. Oh, I'm very sorry. And they were together until the end, right? Yep. Awesome, man. How long were they together all together? Um, That's uh, a tough question. I never remember dates very well, so I don't, won't blame you if you're not exactly yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> but people are good at this. 50, for some 55, 56 years. Wow, that's so beautiful. Do you, I mean, just off yeah. subject for a moment, do you think that that is a dying generation or do you think it's possible for people to, you know, get back in touch with those types of values where people stay together until the end? Because we live in that culture of divorce and, you know, infidelity and all kinds of weird stuff. Do you think it's possible that people can learn to love like that again? Because that generation, it's different, you know? Well, well brother, you, you got to understand Right. And, and, you know, I don't know how deep you want me to go into this, but as deep as you um, want, there has been a very there's been a very deliberate effort for 100 years to destabilize Western societies from within. Yeah. Um, and a big part of that destabilization it has been um, destabilizing men, manhood and families. So the the. The Soviet Union, uh, when it came into existence, immediately sent agents to America and to Western countries to start to recruit what they called useful idiots, willing accomplices to destabilize those nations from within. Mm. And they have been over a hundred year period, very successful. So we went from being patriotic, you know, Christian, God fearing countries to now being secular, self-hating um, countries and a big part of what did this is they they've gone in to destabilize uh and pull people away from their moorings from their roots they're trying to say oh no everything about your past is bad well if you feel that way then you've got nothing to fight for mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know and that's that really has been what's happened so if if this is to change we have a uh, cultural moral and political fight on our hands Mm -hmm. to defeat the forces of darkness and evil. Otherwise, we're in end times, like in the book of Revelations. And, mm -hmm. you know, pretty soon, God's going to make him, his presence felt. Yeah, man. I would like that because uh, 
Yeah, like uh, my philosophy is that uh, darkness can't exist in the light. So if you've got the light and it's turned on, the darkness can't get to you. But there's so many people that are. Yeah, but you know, the book of Revelation says that 90% of humanity will die. So Mm -hmm. if we're in end times, 90% of humanity is about to die. That's wild. That is so wild. Yeah. Man, I, I the only good thing about that is it, at some point it'd probably lower real estate prices. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh boy, but yeah, it's too many people, man, and like it's crazy how that works. And I uh, don't understand how like the sensibilities of humans don't kick in more, but you know, you're right. And you know, I hate to admit it, and I don't like, you know, personally, as a Christian, the book of Revelations is the only book I've never read, and I'm scared of it, to be honest. I'd rather, <laughs> it, all, I'd re- I'd rather it all be a big surprise, you know? Really? Okay. That's, how, that, that's how I feel about it, you know? It's like, I, I'd rather just, you know, okay, great, you know, it's like if something gnarly happens, and I look over, and there's a nuclear blast, you know, maybe, uh, you know, maybe I'll get ready and somehow float up into the sky and everything will be great, you know, but, uh, I don't know, man, I could die in a car crash. You just never know, but, uh, we do get called home. That's for sure. Every single person listening was born and you will die. And that's the thing people don't stop and realize it's like, well, what happens after death and why is it important to have your spirit in connection with God and something bigger than yourself? There's so many reasons. So we'll get to that. But, um, you know, just let's finish and let's get on to the adult uh, um, Nikki soon. Um, but tell me just a little bit more about your teen years, any special memories that come to mind or, you know, times that, you know, like were defining moments for you. Is there anything that kind of pops up in your head about that as you were growing into manhood? Well, I was very much into music and into reading in school. Uh, and I... I remember the soundtrack of my of my teenage years very well, and there were some beautiful songs that really spoke to me as I was growing up. Mm-hmm. And I and I would read a lot. Um, I read um, quite a few books uh, during that time. What do you like to read? In particular, at that time, I was reading um, Ayn Rand. I don't know if you're familiar with her work. I am. Uh, so I read The Fountainhead when I was a teenager and it, awesome. it had an indelible impression on me. And I read, I read Atlas Shrug when I was 20 years old. And that was, that was a defining uh, moment for me in my life, completing that book. It, it helped me really get clear on what uh, my philosophy of life was and mm-hmm. her philosophy spoke to me. Mm-hmm. And, and I adopted much of what she said, not because I was taking her philosophy on, but because she was articulating what I felt in my heart. Right. Yeah. Even right. though she's an atheist, you know, which is interesting as all get out. Um, I, hmm. I know Maybe. that she called herself an atheist, but the work that she did was informed by God and it was informed by a strong spiritual core, even though she would deny that it, 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 it definitely was. Interesting. And, and to me, uh, her work was uh, very powerful in helping me become a man. That's amazing. I, I always say this, the Lord works in mysterious ways. And like for those sure of you does. that don't believe, 
it's because it's over your head. You need to get your head out of the sand and lift up and see something because people that don't believe just don't know. And I feel for them. I understand, you know, the impetus for that. But it's like, man, once you get turned on to a connection, that's uh, something you can feel and sense and kind of connect and identify with. It changes everything. I know um, in my life it's been that way. But like, yeah, people that don't know it yet, like, there's something else going on that's greater than you. And unfortunately, you're going to find out one day whether you like it or not. So you might as well do your work here on Earth before it's too late. Because <laughs> uh, once, we, once we leave the body, man, it's like there's no going back, right? Like we don't get or another man and, you know, another life in the video game, so to speak. It doesn't work that way. You know, we've got one life to live and that's it, you know. One life, man. Um, you know, you reminded me of something. Do you mind if I do a quick share with you? Go for it. All right. So for me, and I just wanted to put this out there in case anybody might, you know, wow. want to check it out. But my first taste of all of that uh, was actually in reading because like I was kind of lazy in school. I did all right in high school, but I was still kind of lazy. But I had a, a really good uh, gift of writing and I didn't know it until I did it. And so I found out. But um, there was a book one day that I read and it was actually just after high school called Illusions. The Adventures of a Reluctant Messiah, and it's written by an Richard author named Richard Bach, brother. You know it, man. And that's uh, just for those of you that might remember, that's the author of the book Jonathan Livingston Siegel. And uh, he's got another series of books called, um, let's see, there's one called Bridge Across. I was looking at my shelf because they're all up there, but Bridge Across Forever and One. He has a series of books that tell stories that are amazing. But Illusions, the cool thing was, is that. You know, he was a barnstorming pilot and he would fly around from town to town to make money flying people around in his little plane. And then one day he met this guy and like he was kind of like Jesus and they flew around together and they would explore life's mysteries, answer eternal questions and pose the most amazing paradoxes. Like, uh, for example, you know, the true measure of one of the you know things written in the book, the true measure of your family is not of blood, but of love and interest in each other's lives. And I was like, wow, that really spoke to me, man. And another one that spoke to me was, argue for your limitations, and sure enough, they're yours. And I really had to think about that one as a young person. I didn't understand it, but then I realized, like, wait a second, you know, it's like we can control the potential of our reality with our thoughts. And, you know, it's like that book just brought me into a brand new awakening of understanding. And I was already a Christian, but it really deepened my spiritual awareness. And my dad was a metaphysician and taught me some things about that. And so I was really blessed to learn about things on a different level. And, you know, not just going to church, but like how it really works and the mechanics of the universe and how God can allow you to heal and to manifest and create circumstances just by being tuned into that source. So, um, you know, for me, that was a really big one, but it's really cool to get it because like once we get that moment, it's like you can never turn back. It changes us forever, you know? So I'm, I'm happy to hear your story. That's interesting. And then from there, like what happened next? Like, were you in relationships, dating? Were you just like a that, you know, single kind of loner guy, like where were you in those social dynamics at the point where your transition was coming forth? I didn't really start dating until I was 20. Oh. I, I went on a few uh, dates, 
uh, with girls, you know, I messed around, but I didn't really get serious about anybody until I was 20 years old. Why? Uh, I just didn't. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, we're both Christian brothers or whatever, but dude, weren't you horny? Like, wait a second. Like, I yeah, just... sure. I went out on dates with girls. I, I slept with girls, but I okay. didn't have a serious relationship till I was 20. I slept with a, I slept with girls starting when I was 17. Awesome. Okay. I mean, there's nothing wrong. And I, I mean, I understand that, you know, some people of the faith would be like, oh, that's terrible, you know, but like, yeah, that's just part of high school. I really enjoyed it actually. <laughs> but yeah, I'm with you. Um, okay. Interesting. And so were those dynamics, I mean, kind of a strange question, but I'm just curious, do you believe it was related to your own maturity or was it more life choices? What kept you from, you know, cause like for me, I was dating, girls since I was 11, you know, I think, or 10, I think. Oh, no, no, the first girl was, I think it was eight, actually, and really young, and we were making out and kissing, and we just kind of decided we would be together, didn't really understand what it meant, but like, and then in high school, you know, I don't think there was ever a time for more than a month or two I didn't have a girlfriend through the whole experience, same with college, and, you know, so like, I look at it like that, like for me, it's like a spawning ground for learning manhood and like getting your mojo on. But like, I know for some people it's, you know, an opportunity to retain some of that energy for other uses. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it takes a lot of energy, you know, when you're in a relationship, especially as a young person, because we be, we become so consumed in them. Um, but being free from that as a young person, did that allow you to do other things greater or like, did it, cause any issues Dude, like, you're not you're not you're not getting me i'm telling you i went out on dates with girls no 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 no, a, no 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 i was not a i was not in a serious relationship till i was 20. that's what i mean that's what i mean like i mean for me serious relationship started when i was like 16 you know and so like i'm just curious you know because in high school it seems like that's the time when people really connect and fall in love and do the puppy love not, thing and not, figure not it for all me. out. I wanted to get, I wanted to get laid when I was in high school. So right that's on. What I did. Right on. Right I fell on. in love when I was 20. That's right what happened for me. <laughs> that's cool. What made that person special enough to want to be with them? I don't know. I, that's not an easy question for anybody to answer. Why do you fall in love with anybody? I just did. Interesting. Uh, Interesting. Yeah. But, but it was someone from Canada, right? It was uh, someone actually that was visiting Canada. Wow, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. From what country? Austria. Oh, interesting. Huh. That's cool, man. So the uh, cultural dynamics, what was that like? Austrian and Iranian. That's an interesting mix. Hey, man, like I said, I was 20 years old and uh, Thunderbolt struck and mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it was it was blissful and amazing i mean in retrospect it's a good thing that it didn't end up being the person i married because i don't think it would have worked at all uh, but um she was uh she was she was lovely she was uh vivacious she was full of life and energy and i was grateful i was right grateful on. that she was right my on. wife and i was grateful that we were a, a couple but i know that it would have been a mistake to marry her. Probably a right. mistake to marry her now. But wow. at the time, I didn't think so. Mm -hmm. How many years do you think you spent with her? Just a year. Okay, cool. She Good went back you, to Austria. And I, sorry? She went back to Austria, and that was that. Oh, uh, so sorry. And uh, it sounded like you might Don't be me. married. Are you married now? 
don't be. I'm not sorry at all. It was a wonderful experience. I was grateful that I got to be with her. And yeah. it ran its course, and I'm grateful that God allowed it to end. I believe yeah. God does things for me, not to me. So sure, sure. everything that's happened in my life could have seemed crappy at the time. But at the end of the day, it was God doing something for me. So, I got you. I got you. Yeah. And um, so are you married now? I'm not married, no. I'm, Were you uh, ever married? I was. Uh, I'm in a serious relationship right now. Cool. Um, but uh, I'm not married. I have a great relationship with my ex. We have two sons together. Uh, but, um, you know, um, 55 years old in uh, in a relationship with a woman who's around my age. Cool. Uh, and, you know, there's only two reasons, in my view, to get married as a man. One is to have a family, uh, and the other is for the love of a good woman, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I got married. I had a family. wasn't able to keep it together, unfortunately. But you know, we've uh, we've done the best with uh, post marriage situation, right and uh, now I've got the love of a good woman. So it's all good. Yeah, man, it sure is. That is. That's. I think that's evidence of God. Like women are wonderful. Yeah. I love them. <laughs> they really provide us Amen. with something special. Yeah. God bless them, man. God bless you women out there. Um, cool, man. So let's get into your, um, let's get into your current life and like, uh, who are you, man? Like, I know that you do some really special things. Tell us a little bit about Nikki and what he does and let's, uh, kind of go down some different roads that might be able to help people. Right on. Um, so, you know, coming to, uh, Coming to Canada, um, I really uh, wanted to follow in my dad's footsteps as an entrepreneur because my dad was my dad was an uplifter of people. You know, mm -hmm. he um, he'd always tell me, "Son, life is not um, about people. I mean, life is not about money." He said, "It's about people. Life is about people." Uh, and you know. That was a message that really stuck with me. Dad was somebody who, if you were looking for work, he'd, he'd help you find a job. If you were looking to start a business, he'd help you start your business. He'd even introduce capital sources to you. If you were trying to buy a car or a house or an apartment and you didn't quite have enough money, he'd talk you up. And he did it because, A, he was a, a devout Christian. He believed it was his duty as a Christian to share his blessings with other people. And B, he did it because... He had the money. He could. He was successful, mm -hmm. you know, and I always wanted to be just like that. I wanted to be a man who yes. was a to people. So benevolent. I, when I got into business, it, it took a while uh, for me to eventually become uh, my own man, my own business uh, owner. But when I did, um, I got into the helping profession. So initially I was a top fitness coach for CEOs. I had a brand called the CEO Health Coach. And then after that, I started working with entrepreneurs as a business coach to assist them in, you know, generating more money. And one of the groups I help are, you know, coaches, consultants, speakers, podcast hosts, folks like that about adding a zero or two to their income. Mm -hmm. And I always got into those professions because I wanted to help people. I wanted to help people become more fit, lose weight, et cetera, et cetera. You, you, you know what I'm saying? Totally. So, um, for me, one thing I noticed in business around CEOs is they were very lonely. They didn't really have a lot of people they could trust, you know, uh, to help them. So having someone like me that they could trust 
was a big deal for them. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It was a really, really, really big deal for them. Yeah, I understand that. And it allowed me to work with a lot of top-level clients. And then when I got into business with uh, entrepreneurs, I, I have two groups of entrepreneurs that I've worked with. Group number one are folks with like companies that are five to 50 million, mm-hmm. right? And these guys really need um, to be a part of something that shows them how to run a business properly. Because mm-hmm. most people that are in business, they're good at the thing that they do, right? Mm-hmm. They're not necessarily great business people. They don't understand marketing and selling and hiring and firing and culture and, you know, uh, balance sheets and income statements and cash flow statements and other financial statements. They don't understand uh, how to have great customer service, exit strategies, systems, processes. They don't get any of that stuff. Right. And so I got into the business of helping these folks get all that figured out so they can scale their businesses properly. Super. And then with folks who are kind of like coaches, consultants, podcast host speakers, those kinds of people, um, what I started to realize was a lot of these folks are, again, really good at what they do. Like they're amazing speakers, they're amazing podcast hosts, they're amazing coaches. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to monetizing it, not so much. You know, yeah. there's a yeah. fear around I don't want to be seen as a, like a slimy salesman or slimy sales girl. I don't want to be seen like I'm pushy. Yeah, so, but it's okay to make money, though. That's what people need to realize. Absolutely it is. Yeah. But I'm just telling you, this is what I saw. People just were scared to go after business. They were scared to go and ask for uh, a sale. And so I saw this and I go, but some of these people, you should ask them for the sale because you can help them. You'll make right. their life and their business better. So Exactly. But the problem is they wouldn't, right? And what does this do? This hurts them. This hurts Fear. their ability to go out there and, and create success. It also hurts the client because the client doesn't get a good person to help them. And instead, I'm going to use that word you used at the beginning, that charlatan marketer. Yeah, they come up there and scoop in and take that, that client's business because they're good at selling. Yes. They don't care what they deliver. Yes. And that bothered me. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to help these guys and gals. I'm going to show them how they can effectively sell. But the word sales just was not working for them. Mm-hmm. So I, I re, rebranded selling into serving. Mm-hmm. That's, the, that's the answer. I agree. I work at Intuit uh, for TurboTax, by the way. And that company is masterful at that. And I maintain uh, the top scores. I always maintain 100% on all my stats and everything because I'm good at customer service. And I'm pretty good at technology and stuff, but yeah, man, that what you're talking about, like serving the client and really becoming their the benefit and the answer to their problem is huge. And it's not about selling, it's about relationship and it's about providing value to a problem that exists, right? Like in a solution. Amen. Yeah, Amen. brother. Yeah, good stuff. And and there's a distinction between companies you can tell, and I know, and all over the world, it's like some of them you can believe, some of them you, you can't believe. And Charlie, you know, yeah, exactly. Marketers, yeah. And yeah. Here's what I found with the folks that I work, because I got example after example after example after example of this, is once we help them rewire their thinking, mm-hmm. they were able to double, triple, quadruple their business. Mm, right? Just from that, wow. Just like, because 
they weren't afraid to, to serve. They were afraid to sell. They weren't afraid to serve, right? Right, right. So, but they needed to believe they were serving and not, oh, this is just another fancy way of selling, selling. No, we had to re rewire their thinking. And then totally. the second thing is there's a lot of the folks that are, well, not clear on how to stand out. Why should people do business with them, right? They just weren't really clear on that. So, you know, and so they wouldn't sell for that reason or they were, they'd try to sell, but not effectively. So we really help them position themselves as thought leaders and not as experts. Because a lot of people go, well, I'm an expert coach. I'm an expert realtor. I'm an expert podcast host. I'm an expert, whatever. Nobody cares. Mm-hmm. People are not buying their way into something. They're buying their way out of something. People are not buying their way into your program. Like, you know, they're not buying their way into your podcast. They're not buying their way into your coaching program. They're not buying their way into your speech, your your training. They're buying their way out of pain. They have a pain. And what you do can only be referred to in terms of how it solves that pain. And too many people don't understand that. And that's why they don't um, stand out enough for people to want to do business with them. So I showed people how to do that. And um, like I got example after example after example of people that were trying to say, well, I'm a fitness trainer. I'm a naturopathic doctor. And it didn't work. Like I had this lady who was a naturopathic doctor, successful woman, right? Made a hundred grand a year, mm-hmm. 120 grand a year. Mm-hmm. But she worked her butt off and she really wanted to do a lot better than that. So I said, okay, what's your best year you ever did? She said, well, back in the day, my best year was 300 grand. So I said, okay, what if we get you close to that this year? And then we surpass that next year. She goes, yeah, I like that. So we helped her stop telling everybody I'm an atropath. And we helped her start saying, just tell this group of people how you can help them. And so the group of people that she went after was professional women over 45 who felt unsexy and unattractive, ugly even. Mm-hmm. And her message was, I'm going to help you get your sexy back. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you, in my experience, women like feeling sexy and pretty. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'd like to think that they do. I, I, I want to believe that now these days. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you know, the, the kind of women that I'm interested in, right? Yeah, me too. Me so, too. So Real I, women. So anyways, long story short is, um, and she was able to get a lot of those clients. And the next thing we showed her was own your value. You're undercharging for the value of what you're doing for these women. Yeah. And so we helped her triple her prices. And when I she tripled thought. her prices, she got more clients because people uh, people yeah. wanted to pay. There's something called expectancy bias, right? That people expect to get more from what they pay more for. Like I write in journals. I've got journals I bought from the dollar store for 10 bucks. And I've got journals I bought from Mont Blanc for a hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. They're both journals. You can write in both of them, but one of them makes me feel a certain kind of way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And the other one, it's a journal, you sure. know, right. And so yeah. as far as that's concerned, like she did that. So in her first year, she over doubled her income In her second year, she over doubled her income again. In her third year, she over doubled her income again. She went from hundred K a year to hundred K a month. Right on, man. That's right? beautiful. And this, this is all because of uh, learning how to uh, narrow her focus and to position herself as like the go-to person for helping 
women over 45 get their sexy back rather than I'm an atropath. Mm-hmm. I'm a podcast host. Mm-hmm. You know, like, honestly, nobody cares about that. They're, when they ask you what you do, they're asking really is how can you and what you do be relevant to me? Show it to me in 10 seconds or less or buzz off. I don't want to hear anything. That's really what they're asking. you got 10 seconds to, like, capture their interest in terms of your relevance or not. Okay. So cool. that's the truth. That's the truth. So if someone asks me what I do, I could tell them I'm a podcast host, I'm an author, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a high-level coach. Yeah, who gives a shit, really? Mm-hmm. What they're interested in hearing is, Nikki, how does what you do help me? And I go, well, listen, what I do is I work with entrepreneurs, right, in particular coaches, consultants, podcast hosts, speakers, trainers, and I help them add a zero or two to their annual income, and I help them do it while working less, 10 hours up to 20 hours a week less. Mm-hmm. And if somebody is one of those people and they want to make more money and they want to work less doing it because they, they're sick of being burned out, they'll be intrigued enough to want to continue the conversation with me. Totally, man. Yeah, I'm with you. And they won't, right? That's yeah. such a better thing for me to say to somebody than I'm an author, I'm a top podcast host, look at how cool I am. Nobody cares how cool I am. I'm not that cool in their eyes anyways. I'm yeah. cool myself. Yeah. I'm a legend in my own mind. I'm not a legend in anybody else's mind. You're exactly <laughs> They're right. They're a legend in their mind. You know, so that's um, what you got to do. Understand that. Can I just like bounce something off of you just for fun? Because I'm curious. But like in my particular case, being a podcast host, it's new for me. I've been in it 30 weeks now and uh, love it. But like I don't. You know, when I talk about it, I here's how I usually present it. And then I want to change it to what you just said and see if I got it right. So what I usually tell people is I host a podcast where I talk to strangers all around the world about life experiences and we explore the human condition together. And that's it. And that's the end of it. But the way that I should be talking about it, it sounds like, is, you know, um, I actually do something really unusual. I talk with uh, strangers all around the world to help people learn about how they can change dynamics in their lives for the better, become successful, overcome depression, and uh, learn how to live a better life. Like I host a podcast that deals with that. Would that fit in the? That, that that's better. Um, but you're you're here's here's what I would say about a podcast. If let's I let's fix it. my let's fix my elevator pitch, Nikki. We'll, we'll fix your <laughs> elevator pitch, but then we got to determine if you actually want to make money from your podcast. Because if you I do. don't. I do. Uh, if you do, we can have another conversation about this uh, another time. But sure. what, I will, what I would say about your podcast is I've got a really great podcast called the Talk with Strangers podcast. Mm-hmm. And what it does is it provides a platform for people just like you to be able to share their stories in a way yes. that, that the people they want to know who they are will actually get to know who they are. Oh, dear. So their message goes out and they get to fulfill their destiny. Something along those lines. That's if what I'm talking that about. Me, Ooh, I like that, dude. Little I, magic there. I, I, yeah, we'll definitely be talking after this. <laughs> I yeah. love it. That's I'm going to just, here's what I'm going to do, Todd. Um, we got to wrap up shortly. I apologize. But, uh, when we're done, let's stick around for a couple minutes and, and, and book a time to talk. 
Okay, cool. Yeah, I'd love yeah, that. Yeah. I really would. Thank you. And um, so let's spend the rest of the time just speaking to the audience of how you can help them and what you bring to the table, why you're different, and what it is that they can expect if they reach out to you, because I'm going to provide links to sure. your website and all that, and I want people to sure. get value from you. Yeah, so if you're an entrepreneur or you're a professional who's looking to become an entrepreneur, because you're kind of done with the world of nine to five, okay, and you want a blueprint on, as an entrepreneur, how to scale, add a zero to your income, mm -hmm. right? And as someone who's a nine to fiver, how to get that business started and actually make it viable so you can quit your nine to five, mm -hmm. then what I can do for you is I can help you understand, A, what it is that you're not doing that you need to be doing that will get you there. Mm -hmm. Period, full stop, end the story. Because if you're in a job and you want to be an entrepreneur, there's a reason why you're not yet an entrepreneur. You with me? Mm -hmm. if, if you are an entrepreneur and let's say you make a hundred grand a year, but you want to make a half a million or even a million, there's a reason why you're not there. And we need to help you get real about what those reasons are. Mm -hmm. Right? Because what does God say in the Bible? Seek the truth and the truth shall set you free. Yes. He doesn't say, Seek something that's going to make you feel good about yourself. That'll get you free, right? Yeah. He said, yeah. seek the truth. I'm a truth teller. I'm right going to get real with you about mm -hmm. what, what it is that's not working. And I'm going to get real with you about the truthful consequences of continuing along the path of having your head stuck in the sand while you try to work and win. Yeah. And then I'm going to help you get your head out, stuck out of the sand. And I'm going to say, this is the way. And then it's up to you to say, I want to go down this road or I don't. Totally. Because I don't choose for anybody. I am not, I am not, a, I am not, I am not a dictator. I'm not a tyrant. Okay. No, no, you're a guide. You're I'm a guide. I'm a man. I'm a guide. I show you the way. You say, yes, I'm in, or you say, no, I'm not. And yep. I like no's. I got to tell mm -hmm. you, people think that people like me hate to be told no to. I love to be told no to. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I hate? I hate when someone says something like this, Nikki, that was great. My God, you're so awesome. You're so fabulous. You're so great. I'm going to need to go think about it. I'm going to need to talk to my <laughs> wife. I'm going to need to do a seance with my dead ancestors. <laughs> yeah. My dog and I actually talk. I know it sounds weird, but my dog can talk. I'm going to ask him what he thinks, and then I'll get back to you. That is the kind of thing I can't stand talking. I know. That drives me up a wall. You know, you just shot your success in the foot when you think and talk like that. Yeah, totally. Because you just told God, God, send me more people who talk just like I talked to this man. Right. Send me you people know, that are indecisive, uncommitted, and unwilling to be truthful to me because I like being lied to because I just lied to this fellow. Yeah. What What is the, there's a story, you probably heard it, uh, where the guy is uh, out in the middle of the ocean in a raft and the raft deflates and like he's floating around and then somebody else comes along in a boat and he sends them away thinking that God's going to send somebody else. And then the next person said, you know, it's like two or three people came along to help and he's still asking for God's help yet. It came three times and he sent it away like an idiot. So, you know, that's a funny thing. And you're right. And a lot of it's emotion based, right? Like I do know enough from uh, my own life experience and having talked to a bunch of wonderful people on this podcast, honestly, and, 
learning about things. A lot of these uh, issues in blocks, and I face it myself, quite frankly, and I know where it is, um, and I'm aware of it, and I want to get past it personally. Me um, is emotion and uh, trauma, and uh, you know, programming from times in our life where we might not realize that we're still running off a different set of rules, and those rules don't apply anymore. And so, your job is to help reprogram the mind to see the right things and to get those obstacles out of the way and be successful, right? Like, and just to discover your potential as an individual. Does that about nail it? Yeah, buddy, a, a thousand percent. And here's a couple things I'm going to put in the chat. I made a mistake with the first one, so ignore it. Here's a link for someone to get on my calendar. Okay. And all I ask is that if you're going to use this link, be a serious person. Don't be a frivolous person. Okay. okay. Um, because if someone's listening to this and they're like, okay, I'm going to check it out. If you want to check it out, just go on the gazillion podcasts I've been on. Right. Go buy one of my books. In fact, I'll even give you a link to get one of my books for free if you want to check it out. Only Hell get yeah. on my calendar if you're serious about having a real discussion. Perfect. Uh, right? And um, if you do that, I will talk to you for free. I will not charge you, and I will give you my best free of charge. You don't awesome. need to. Uh, oh shoot, I, I messed up twice. Eh? I forgot. Oh, don't worry, it's okay. Yeah, we'll. Fix I'll, it. I'll fix it up again. I'll fix it's it up okay. properly. So, like, um, but it's important in life that when you when you talk to business people, that you come into a conversation only if you have some level of seriousness about wanting to explore making a shift in your life or in your business. Because if you if you don't, then don't waste people's time. Don't waste your own time. That's all I have to say to people. Don't do that because it's not good for you. It's not good for them. And all, all of that is going to come and bite you in the butt. God will do to you what you do to other people. Just remember that always. Full stop. End the story. So if you waste people's time, God will have your time wasted for you. If you respect people, God will have people respect you. That's how it is. Interesting. Yeah. And, and it's never too late to change. That's the key that people need to realize. It's never too late. And... Anything is possible when you put your mind to it. So change is possible. Amen. Totally Amen. possible. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Any last words that you want to share? And then I want to make sure that you speak your web address so that people can get it. Don't worry, I'll post the links on the site when it publishes. Sure. Yeah, uh, I, I, I sent you the links in the in the chat over here. Um, okay, thank you. So two two of them are mistaken uh, links and two of them are correct links. The ones with the with the forward slashes are the correct links. But <laughs> Don't worry, okay. it's okay. No um, problem. I'll tell you a quick story, um, and this is a good way to end off. Perfect. Five years ago, um, a woman was introduced to me and my lady, because my lady actually works with me in my business, and this woman was the uh, country director for one of the world's largest personal development firms, and she, she ran Canada for them, mm -hmm. rock star woman. But she thought she wanted to uh, get some help to help her scale the business. So she brought a man on board to work with her uh, that she thought was very, very talented. Um, it was very similar to Steve Jobs back in the 80s when he brought John Scully to help him grow Apple, right? Mm -hmm. And kind of like Steve and John, at first, everybody got along really well. But after about a year, their visions of the future diverged. And she was kicked out of her own company, just like Steve Jobs. You think wow. that's kind of crazy, right? So she was lost and bereft for about 18 months, like lost. And so someone introduced her to us. I mean, she knew who we were, but someone introduced her to us. And I told her, I think I can help. You know, I didn't know any of this. And then she goes, yeah, I want to talk. I want to, I want your help, blah, blah, blah. And so 
anyways, we, we sat uh, together and, and we, we, we enrolled her into our program. And, you know, um, she made the investment. It was a big investment, but she made the investment. And very soon we saw that she needed love poured into her, right? Because she had she'd been betrayed, right? So we poured a lot of love into her. And then we showed her how to get clear on her ideal target market. We showed her how to get clear on her messaging. We helped her charge properly because she was charging so low. So we, we, we got it going. In her first month, she made $10,000, which is amazing, right? In yeah. her second month, she made $12,000. In her yes. third month, she made $18,000. Yes, yes. But in her fourth month, Todd, she went crazy supernova and she made $62,200. Holy Jesus. Wow. And, you know, this figure will become germane in a moment. And then, um, so my son was 12 at the time, my eldest boy, and he, he plays soccer or as I like to call it football, because, you know, it's <laughs> actually played with your feet. Right, right. right. I know. Is that funny? Yeah. 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 So, you know, they, they, they really got to change the name of football here in North America. And the, the <laughs> yeah. Soccer should be football and football should be something else. I don't know what, but not football. So um, anyways, uh, the tournament that he needed to play in was in her hometown of Ottawa, which is a five hour drive from Toronto. So I called her and I said, Hey, I know you have a son, my boy's age. How would you like to bring him to uh, come and watch my son play? And we could hang out and chat and maybe go all take the kids, go have a bite to eat on our way out of the city. She said, yep, let's do it. And we did it, and it was amazing and wonderful. And uh, then we drove home. And a few weeks later, we we do these quarterly uh, live uh, workshops called the Branded Thought Leader Immersion Workshop. It's like a um, three-day workshop where you immerse yourself in uh, how to become a thought leader and monetize your expertise properly, right? This is where all the magic happens, the secret sauce and all that's taught there. Mm -hmm. And so she was there and there were eight new people in the room and we'd gone to the point in the show where we do a sale an upsell right or an upserve if you will right so mm -hmm. um it's a big ticket item that we sell right mm -hmm. like you know you know what offline you told me that fella wanted to sell you so this upsell of ours is in that kind of price range right i so got you the three-day course isn't it's much much lower but the upsell is it's a year-long right. program and blah 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 yeah. She was in the year-long program, right? So um, anyways, the way I do it is I don't really do much of the pitch. I actually ask our people. So if people are there live, they'll, they'll speak live. And I have a few people that are recorded on video. And I just, you know, there's no one available to speak in person. I put on the video, right? So um, I asked, because there was a few people live in the room, is there anyone who would like to share and buddy, before I could pick anybody, she bounds on stage and says, me. And I'm like, okay, wow, her energy was so big, I kind of stepped back a little, right? Yeah. Said, yeah, okay. And um, she gets up, and she's, she's very charismatic and, uh, you know, magnetic smile, bright eyes, all of that. And uh, she looks around the room, and then all of a sudden, I, 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 like I'm standing behind her, I see her shoulders start to heave. And then I, I hear a sob. And then I thought to myself, oh, my God, what did I do? Why is she mad? Why is she crying? Is she upset with me? <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, she's going to give her testimony. I can't wait to right? hear this. So um, 
my lady comes on stage and hands her a, a box of tissues and she she says thank you and blows her nose and whatnot everybody's quiet you can hear a pin drop and then she she then turns to me and and you know grabs my my hand and and brings me forward and she's kind of holding both my hands and looking at me and i'm i'm nervous you like, know what what's I mean? going on here yeah like, really i'm nervous right so but you know i i maintain a placid exterior <laughs> And she goes, Nikki, you didn't know this, but um, when you and your little son came to Ottawa and visited with me and my little son, when I was driving to you guys, my little son in the backseat says, mommy, 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 you know how little boys get excited. Where are we going? Who are we going to go meet, right? Mm -hmm. And she says, oh, sweetheart, we're going to see Nikki Baloo and his son. And she said, all of a sudden, my little boy became very quiet. Unusual for a little boy excited in the backseat of a car, right? Mm -hmm. And then he, he lowers his voice and he goes, oh, mommy, are we going to meet the man who saved our family? Wow. And, bro, I started to fall. <laughs> yeah. You get I don't cry in public, dude. You know what uh, I'm saying? I am not a crier in public. I cry at home. I cry at movies. Not in sure. public. Yeah, I but I cried. And we both were crying and we both like hugged and, you know, um, everyone in the room's clapping. And, That's and, the way it should be. That's so cool, she man. Said, she said, you did not know any of this, but when I first came to you, the bank was about to take uh, our home away. They were foreclosing on the mortgage. They hadn't uh -huh. paid it in months. And she then said after that, um, my husband and I were fighting about money every day, like cats and dogs in front of the kids. They had three three children, right? And she said, and my kids were 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 freaked out and scared that we were going to break up, and I was scared we were going to break up. And she said, you literally helped us put all that behind us, and you, you you helped us save our family. Yeah, man. And you know what's really sad about that story is that it's all about having enough money, right? Like, I mean, that's the world we live in. We have to earn and. You know, Rather not, it's reality, right? It's the world God created is you without money. Money's like oxygen, man. You got to have it. It's right. Like, nobody, people that get upset about that is like saying you, you're also upset that you have to breathe oxygen. <laughs> you know, it's just like, come on, deal with the reality of the situation you're in, right? So, yeah. anyways, here's what happened after that. Oh, there's um, more. Wow. We handed out the registration forms for the for the program. Okay. You got to get that usually um, some people sign up, some people don't, and some people I got to sit down and talk to them. Not this day. Everybody signed up. Beautiful. Everybody. And dude, on the spot, it, like this little kid is the greatest salesman in the history of my company, right? That's amazing. And I'm sitting there, um, you know, like amazed and, and just looking like this. What just. What? Like I, I was looking at Teresa, my lady, and I'm going, what just happened? Dude, that's a presence of God is what just happened. Oh, right. It is. And, and I also realized that I don't know what people are dealing with. Like, you know, I, I didn't know what she was dealing with. She was just presenting her best face to me, you know? So um, I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't know what the next guy I'm going to be talking to on Monday is dealing with. And I just asked that God give me an opportunity to be an instrument of his will and to serve the good people that need help. Amen. That's all I man. Dude, that's, and that's how I wrap up episodes like this with this story. It's perfect. That's absolutely perfect. Um, and I really appreciate that. That's a blessing. And for people that 
you know, we're looking for something like that. Like, uh, really, it's very powerful. You really have to get aligned with your purpose and your potential in the world. And Nikki here has some really great ideas on how that can work and strategies to make it happen. So, you know, that's huge. And I encourage anyone listening to reach out and explore the links that I'll provide for you. Uh, where do they find you? Just give me your web address and I'll put the rest of the links. Yeah, on the it's, it's ecircleacademy.com. And I put in the uh, uh, forward slash appointment to jump on the calendar and forward slash TLJ book for a free Kindle copy of uh, my book, The Thought Leader's Journey. And I, I gave you this, but this is just for you. That's my personal cell number. So um, Perfect. Thank use you. the two links and keep the number for yourself. And I think that's great. Oh, yeah. And I, I, you know, I'm not going to fluff you up, but I will say I do want to talk to you again. And I'm looking for some answers myself and, you know, dealing with some things. Okay. So it'd be fun to have a conversation and see what might be possible. I, I'm interested. And quite frankly, I, I want to monetize, you know, and I've got my first sponsor. I have a really good sponsor. I'm not going to tell who yet, but it's a pretty well-known company that deals with mental health. And I wanted to provide a resource and I'll have it available soon. Uh, for people that are struggling with mental health issues and depression and stuff. So I provided a resource and found a really good sponsor out of that. And, you know, but yeah, I'd really enjoy that. Nikki, what a blessing to speak with you. You're so casual and down to earth and laid back. Like, I hate to say it, but you give Christians a good name. (laughs) (laughs) Good. Yeah. I really appreciate you, my brother. And I I just, you know, and uh, the spirit of Jesus, you know, I just want to say that I love you because you're a brother in Christ, um, you. you know, and I really appreciate the fact that you're willing to share, you know, your personal story and also, of course, your service and just being a servant of God, man. And like people like you, we really need more of. And I just want to tell you, I personally appreciate that. I greatly appreciate everything you said, brother. You're you're a good man. Thanks for saying that. And thank uh, you. Uh, Let's uh, let's get on a call. Uh, once we end this thing, let's get on a call. I think it'd be great. Deal. That sounds great. And for anyone listening, you'll feel good when he says those words to you after you've proven yourself not to be one of those fly-by-night people. So get in there and talk with Nikki. Don't be shy and discover your potential. Thank you so much for joining us today, Nikki. I really appreciate this. And I'm definitely looking forward to talking with you again soon. Thanks for being on the show. Yeah, it's a pleasure and an honor, brother. God bless you. Absolutely. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to the Toddcast Show. If you found today's episode helpful and meaningful, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on what's next. Remember that the Toddcast Show is all about community and connection. So follow the podcast on your preferred social platform to keep updated on everything I've got in store. Also check out ToddCastShow.com to find out more and stay connected with me, Todd Mira. Be sure to tell your friends and family about the ToddCast Show so the podcast family can continue to grow and share on an international level. See you over on the next episode. Hi, I'm Todd Mira, host of the ToddCast Show, and I want to share something personal with you today. Throughout my own life, I've struggled with issues I didn't even realize I had. Things like depression, past trauma, PTSD, and feeling disconnected from the people I loved the most. 
It took me hitting rock bottom to realize I couldn't fix myself alone. I needed help to unravel the tangled knots within my life, find myself again, and become stronger in the areas I was weakest. It wasn't an overnight transformation, but with time, I learned to change my thinking, my attitudes, and my entire paradigm for the better. I learned that it's good to ask for help, and that's why I want to tell you about our sponsor, BetterHelp. Thank you to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode of The Toddcast Show. BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy service, and the best part, it's 100% online. You can participate from anywhere, anytime that works for you. It's simple to get started. Simply answer a few questions about your specific needs and personal preferences in therapy, and BetterHelp will match you with the perfect therapist from their network. It's really that easy. You can message your therapist anytime you need support and schedule a live session when it's convenient for you. BetterHelp is committed to ensuring that you find the perfect match to guide you along your journey to well-being. As someone who went through therapy and came out way ahead of where I started, I want to invite you to take this step to a healthier, happier you today. My life was transformed through therapy, and yours can be too. With BetterHelp, you get the same professionalism and quality you'd expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is hand-picked for you, all at a shockingly affordable price. And as a special offer for our listeners, you'll get 10% off your first month by using the special link, betterhelp.com forward slash Toddcast. That's betterhelp.com forward slash Toddcast. You don't have to face life's challenges alone. BetterHelp is here to support you through the big and small issues of your life in a way that can really make a huge difference, both short and long term. Take the first step towards a healthier, happier you. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash Toddcast to get started today.